Hello everyone, I'm Simon Ford of Forge Gin. Martinis, gin and tonics, Negronis, great classic cocktails is what I'm about. But I also love to hear of great recipes from great bartenders from around the world, which is why we've partnered with Beyond the Drink for this season. Cheers. Well, you just heard from the man himself, Simon Ford, and this season of Beyond the Drink is presented by Ford's Gin. I'm Cappy, and in this series, we're going to hear from some of the best bartenders in the country as they share the stories and recipes behind their favorite drinks. Beyond the Drink is a spinoff of Beyond the Plate, our podcast that sits down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. So if you're new to Beyond the Drink, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to create a delicious cocktail or, like the bartenders we feature, make a difference in your community. To get the cocktail recipe we discuss in this episode, you can check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. One more thing, we have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch. You can find a link in your podcast player or go to our website, beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, hoodies, and more. Again, that's beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Alrighty, and let's do a quick audio test. You are the trash tiki master. So why don't you name three of the craziest ingredients you've ever used in a gin cocktail? Ooh, snake wine. While we did the Hong Kong trash pop-up, that was interesting, definitely. I did a collaborative trash did of the drinks for Dan Barber's Wasted pop-up in London, and we had different guest bartenders. And uh, my best friend and business partner, Ryan Chasey Wadner, bought a drink where he'd fed his cat on specific food items so that their poop had certain nutrients. And then he grew herbs, fertilized with the cat poop, and then he put the herbs in the drink. Oh my gosh. Okay. Watching him explain that to a room full of esteemed culinary chefs was (laughs) without a doubt one of the most uncomfortable things in my life. I think those two really cover the bases well enough for everybody. (laughs) All right, you sound great. Let's do this. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, educator, and bartender who is known internationally as co-founder of some of the most important drinks-based businesses of the last decade. Think the multi-award winning Mr. Lion brand as well as Trash Collective, formerly known as Trash Tiki. Their latest venture, Jellybone, is a creative design and events company. They're constantly creating and seeking out new directions for their career to evolve while helping emerging talent and startups grow their business and brand identity. You can find more on them in the episode notes and follow them on Instagram at VaselineMind underscore. That's V-A-S-E-L-I-N-E-M-I-N-D underscore. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the drink with Ian Griffiths. Ian, good to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited to join. Why don't we warm up with a little cocktail-themed speed round? We've done some fun fruit-forward ones and herbaceous ones and spirit-forward and bold ones. But for you, why don't we get a little trashy and fun on this speed round? What do you say? I love it. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't you first name the cocktail that inspired you to get behind the bar? The first cocktail that inspired me to get behind the bar. You know, I've got to be very honest with you about it. It is unquestionably a uh, Midori Splice. This is a very specific drink to uh, Native Australia, where I'm from. I started in bars the day I turned 18 out there. And I was on the floor working as a bossy, cleaning ashtrays because you could still smoke inside and tending to slot machines. And I knew I wanted to get on the bar because that's where all the action was. And 
the first drink I learned to make and really the one that pulled me in there because I was a Midori lemonade drinker was a Midori splice, which if I remember properly has some kind of like coconut and pineapple situation going on in there as well as a whole bunch of Midori. And I'm sure it's topped with Sprite or the equivalent. (laughs) (laughs) How about the last cocktail you made at home? Last cocktail I made at home. Oh, wow. Probably hmm, uh, Negroni, actually. Yeah, I was uh, making some the other night and that was uh, literally all we had, which was quite fortuitous. Yeah. Love it. And how about a smell behind the bar you love? Smell behind the bar that I love. Wow. Smell behind the bar that I love. I mean, whiskey, quite honestly. Yeah, just to be very honest, it's kind of one of those. Um, Yeah. How about a smell behind the bar you hate? Smell behind the bar that I hate. Third menu of Dandelion, we did a drink that had fresh juiced kale in it. And this was just like pure kale passed through a centrifugal juicer and extracted. And then at the end of the night, the bartenders used to play a game called Kale or Death. Um, and it was just a straw drawing situation and the loser had to then drink the rest of the uh, kale juice in one go. And that really stays with you forever. Once you participate in one round of that, it really just never goes away. <laughs> uh, wait, so that was straight kale or was it mixed with something? No, just literally straight kale. Like just every day we were like pressing through like six bunches of kale to get a couple of bitters bottles worth of dashes of kale juice out of it. And then like there was two dashes in a drink and there was always some left over. And uh, yeah, I used to draw straws and play kale or death at 1 a.m. in the morning and it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you go and chase that with. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most unexpected mixer for gin? Wow. I mean, I'm not sure if I'd say anything ever really catches me by surprise with gin. That's kind of, I mean, that that is, it's like 2010's boom in popularity, was it? Like, it really went with everything and it was just a stop drinking vodka, drink this, like pipeline conversation. I love that. Yeah, it really, I haven't really had anything it doesn't go well with. I do love it with Ribena and club soda. Gin, Ribena and club soda is just like, yeah, it's delicious. Last one. How about the one gin cocktail everyone needs to try? Wow, this is good, actually. The one gin cocktail I think everybody needs to try. A gin and tonic made on tonic water that isn't made in North America because your quinine levels and your sugar and your carbonation levels are all totally screwed and British tonic water is so much better. (laughs) Why? I mean, I agree with you. And why? Fake sugars are far more rampant, obviously. Sugar levels are just at different percentages. Quinine levels are just completely off. And I think what gives it that balance with all the botanical structure is just so much more important. And then tiny little bubbles, like better carbonation as well, not mass-produced off a gun I mean, some of the first and best gin and tonics I had were in northern Spain, and they were just like, yeah, bottled, uh, most tonic is bottled, obviously, but it was like brands I knew of, you know, Schweppes or whatever, but. I'm like, this does not taste like what I get at home. And I I mean, like, there's something to be said. I think that Spanish gin and tonic is such a specific moment in time, specifically being in Spain, where, like, again, to try and emulate that elsewhere and just give you, like, a fruit bowl of garnishes and a goblet, it doesn't hit quite the same as when you're sitting there with the sunshine in the air and everything else that really adds to that experience for sure. All right. Super excited to hear about this cocktail. Why don't you share the name and what's going down with it? Because I I already have Um, questions. I mean, you already have questions? (laughs) Excellent. That's great. I mean, I did something very classic and simple while uh, different ventures and bars and brands over the years have probably been known for being a little too weird and wonderful and complicated. Uh, I still 
am like a classics trained bartender and it's still what I default to even when diving into more weird and wonderful ingredients. So I'm just making a Gimlet 75, which really spices together, in my opinion, the best home gin cocktail anyone can learn to make and my all-time favorite cocktail. And so the former being a Gimlet and the latter being a 75. So It is like a mashup. Yeah? Yes, okay. definitely. I mean, like, really, at the end of the day, I'm just putting champagne in an already delicious cocktail because everything tastes better with champagne. <laughs> That's, yeah, really what it comes down to. <laughs> but then the recipe, we're going to do one and a half parts of the very fantastic Ford's gin that I've had a long love affair with now. A half part of fresh lime juice. Then we're going to do a half part of lime oleo or lime cordial. And I always really enjoy mentioning this for a few reasons. I think, first of all, if you're a home bartender, home cocktail enthusiast, or anything like that, and you want to move beyond simply just buying shelf products and making something at home, an oleosaccharum is the single best first ingredient to learn how to make. All you do the day before you want to make your cocktail is you peel your limes, you rest them in sugar, and I'll make sure there's a recipe to go on the site with this as well. And those oleosaccharum itself is just oil of sugar. And so what happens is you rest those lime peels in sugar overnight, extract all that fresh, limey deliciousness, and then the next day you can break that down with some water or lime juice or whatever you prefer, and you make yourself a fresh lime cordial as opposed to buying like a roses off the shelf or something like that. If you mix your cordial with water, you can then juice those limes that you just peeled and you use them as your fresh lime juice in the one drink. And so it really does become a buy a bottle of gin, buy eight limes, and you've got gimlets for the whole bottle kind of situation, which I almost of the bottle, which I do really love as well. I always add a touch of fresh orange bitters. Specifically, I really like Reagan's. I think that profile works incredibly well with the gin botanicals. And then... Uh, and we're just doing half parts, as I mentioned, of the fresh lime juice and the lime oleo cordial, a couple of dashes of orange bitters, and then two parts of uh, dry sparkling wine of your choice, as long as it's not Prosecco, to finish off with as well. <laughs> Amazing. So shaking all this up except the wine? Yeah, shake it all up except the wine. Put it in any glass you possibly prefer. Like I always say, I'm not your mother and I'm not going to tell you how to enjoy your drink best when you're doing it at home. So just kind of like whether it's a rocks glass, a flute, a highball, a shoe, go crazy. Um, just something that is comfortable to be enjoyed out of. Yeah. That sounds delicious. And pardon for the dumb question. Is it a mashup of a gimlet and a French 75? Yeah, you could probably, I would like not to annoy and confuse your server while they're busy dealing with everyone. I'd probably just order a classic gimlet and then ask for a champagne top on it would be how I would go. Got it. But I've done many variations of this drink. It's probably like a default formula I call back on far too often. But at the end of the day, just because it works so well in terms of putting gin out there, it only needs a short shake as well because you're getting some extra aeration from the bubbles too. So you really just want to get it nice and cold and bright and fresh. And then, yeah, and then outside of that, it's just one of those really fun plug and plays where you can replace your lime oleo cordial with a grapefruit and you've suddenly got a completely different drink. And so it's just such an easy formula to work backwards from and build so many drinks, change your sparkling wine from a dry to a demi-sec if you need a bit more richness in there, change your bitters out, obviously. I've put this exact recipe with like a grapefruit cordial and cardamom bitters 
on one or two or probably five consultancy menus now. And yeah, it's just, it's a real workhorse drink that I think ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of people. And you're partial to Reagan's orange bitters, huh? I am, yeah. I'm 99% sure that it's cardamom that's in there, but there's something very specific in Reagan's over the rest that I always really enjoy. And I think like binds to gin in a really enjoyable manner as well. Can I ask you a weird question, but I feel like you may be a great person to ask this too. Is there a right way? There's a lot of bitters, of course. Is there a right way to taste them? Or is it just really case by case with the drink you're making? Yeah, I mean, you can definitely... If you do taste a lot of them, like if you are a working bartender and like you're doing it quite frequently, like I will just dash it on the back of my hands and lick it off and I'll be perfectly fine with that. If you're like just stepping into it or you're looking to do something a little bit more like side by side Pepsi challenge-esque, I would always do a standard amount of dashes into glasses with a standard amount of soda water in each just because the dilution and the carbonation will open up more of the aromas that you'll get when you shake with it as well. But if it's not your bar and you don't really care about the bottom line, sure, just make seven different drinks on seven different bitters and then pour them down the sink. (laughs) (laughs) No, do not do that one, please. Even if you own the bar, that's just a horrible idea. (laughs) That's funny. This is really crazy and it may not be crazy to you, but I literally, I just got home like 30 minutes before we started recording I just got home to my studio to record with you. And on my way, one of my friends who I used to work with, they're Jamaican. They live in Miami. And she forwarded me a video of this guy. And she's like, you should check this guy out. He's great. And the video she forwarded me was this guy teaching how to make an oleosacrum. Oh, nice. Oh, see how how serendipitous. Right? (laughs) I don't think I had ever... I mean, I've seen a lot of cocktail menus, to be honest, but I don't really see that called out too much. I think a lot of people just turn around and call it a lime cordial. I'm not always necessarily sure how many people do them across every program I've been involved in. I still remember V Sydney when I was 23 years old. I think it was 80 Ruiz who like turned around and just like, I walk behind the bar and 80s a classically trained chef. And I was like, what are you doing? And then he was like, oh, you'll see tomorrow. And then just made me a gimlet. I remember he probably put some fernet in it, knowing Addy, and then just made it on that. And I remember just being one of those things that has stuck with me ever since of just being like, wow, this is so simple. And obviously at that point in time, I didn't even really know or care for words like anti-waste or sustainability or anything like that. But I think what I also love about it is Through the trash program, we always talk about the fact that reducing your environmental impact isn't new. And you go back and you find oleosaccharum written in books from the 19th century. And that's because more than caring about buzzwords like sustainability, it's just common sense. If you're going to buy the fruit, use the whole damn Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. It was so wild. I was like watching this video and literally came home. Your recipe was sent to me and I was like, oh, no shit. Like. How about yeah, that? that's that one. And I don't think yeah. anyone out of the tons of bartender episodes we've done, I don't think I've ever seen it. So like you said, very serendipitous. Well, that sounds great. I'm going to either make one of these myself at home or maybe seek one out when I go out to a bar on my next trip. Nice. Ian, you're a great person to talk to about this. I want to switch gears into social impact and giving back. Most of our listeners of Beyond the Plate, which is our long-form more chef-based episodes know that, you know, we touch upon chefs and how they give back and some do it through a certain cause that's meaningful to them or through a certain event or, you know, whatever it may be, giving 
proceeds from a menu item. There's, you know, a hundred different ways to do it. And our listeners know how generous and giving the chefs are. And they've come to realize as we've been doing more of these bartender episodes, you all are too, of course. And I love being able to shine a light on it. And you have a really special program that you came up with co-founded. It's called Trash Collective, formerly Trash Tiki, but I would love for you to hit upon that because nothing is more in line with, you know, sharing that with our listeners. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So it's now known as Trash Collective, but when it first started, it was Kelsey Ramage and myself while we were living in London. And it was very much, we, I had already founded the Lion Company at this point and Kelsey was actually head bartender at Dandelion, one of the bars within that company. And that was doing a lot of really great things. But along the way, the menu at Dandelion only changed once a year. And so what that meant is a lot of like fun innovations and fun little tricks that any, well, any of us came up with. We often found it difficult to express because you spent nine months working on one menu. These things were a beast. Um, and, you know, they were always received very well. But we very much turned around and were like, well, like we're starting to come up with some recipes and starting to work on a few things that we also knew were never going to be found on any of those menus. And it was like, well, why don't we like start a blog, right? That's just 2016. That's what you did. And then very quickly looked at two or three of the recipes and they were really starting to tap into food waste. And the Lion Company, we had also already started to receive a lot of notice so that we got a really great article written about us on this topic in 2015 in The Guardian. And that alongside of an article from Bobby Hugel on how agave distillers could create the footprint for more carbon positive distilling in 2015 as well. Those two articles really laid this groundwork for what became a real boom in the drinks world when it came to topics of food waste and sustainability. And so Trash Collective grew rapidly, shall we say, depending on the day I might say spiraled out of control. But it really went from a couple of recipes on a blog never to be made in public. These were all to be others to make, then got our arm twisted into a pop-up got our arm twisted into two pop-ups, decided we were sick of living in London. And all of a sudden, by 2017, we were on the road touring the world for nine months, going to, I forget the number now, something like over 50 different markets, throwing pop-ups and educating bartenders on just this, honestly, still at the end of the day, this very simple idea that like we could reduce our like impact our negative impact or be a more positive impact and that kind of thing and you know very much being realistic it's never going to save the world we know exactly the challenges that the world is facing and reusing your pineapple skins in a tapache or shaving your avocado pits and turning them into an orgeat they will be really wonderful and great points of interest but doing it as well for that like repetitive behavior builds better habits kind of thing of being like if you're more environmentally minded with like your job, what other aspects does that flow through onto? And we packaged all that up because at the time, everything was very like neutral, earthy color palettes and lots of like yoga and other quasi shite notions being folded in alongside the general idea of food waste. And we very much, um, the French, but turned around and were like, fuck all that shit. It really didn't speak to us in any way. And it definitely didn't reach any of our friends or any of our other bartenders out there. So we played a bunch of really angry punk music. We made our posters out of signs that were just spray painted about two hours before we opened, sometime two hours after we did open. And we just slammed out a bunch of drinks. After 2017, as the 
to uh, carry through the rest of that year and into 2018. When Kelsey and I then settled in Toronto, Kelsey really then started to take charge of the company and she is now the face of it, leading it and kind of moved it into, I wouldn't say a more impactful, but just like helping grow Trash Collective as we came to rebrand it to like further its reach. So everything from we both signed on to be the global sustainability ambassadors for one of the largest liquor portfolios in the world so that we could have hands-on at a global level, working with institutions to create certifiable courses in how bartenders could improve their skill sets, including environmental impact, but as well, and what Kelsey does a great job at is like being able to step in and consult with others because we realize that like we've always been a free source. The website still exists and the recipes are all there. But oftentimes people still want to like, they want you there. They want you like helping and showing them and they all the rest of it. And Kelsey's done some fantastic work with numerous hotel groups now, as well as our own bar that sadly did not survive the pandemic. Um, uh, that really kind of brought what were some recipes and a couple of ideas and the blog and put them into a fruition where like bars could actually move forward and have these recipes available year round and just part of their program. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy extraordinary. I mean, it's wild, yeah. to be honest with you. Even where, like, even when we, like, have to recap it every now and again, we're always just like, yeah, and that was, uh, well, I mean, this year it'll be five, six years since that first started, and yeah. And you say 40 to 50 markets, and we're not talking, like, Chicago, New York, LA, Philly, whatever. I mean, we're talking countries. Oh, yeah. We did five continents or have done, maybe we picked up another one on a different tour. But yeah, it's like, it's now well over 120 markets and cities that it's been to. But I think back in the day, I could almost almost remember and recite the entire tour by heart, which would be very boring for your listeners. But it's somewhere on, it's, it's somewhere on social media, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, it's really wild. I'm sure you realize the impact that you all have made while having fun and blasting the music that you like to listen to and making some like part of my French fucked up, but probably delicious cocktails. And mm. but you're like inspiring people who are drinking them, but you're also inspiring these bartenders and establishments that you're going to along the way that may not have had an eye or realized how much shit they were throwing away that are giving yes. it second yeah. thought, you know? Yeah, definitely like pulled that magnifying glass back over a lot of those things. And there's also a lot of happenstance that like we were lucky that things hit at the right time. Like Honestly, I think like the debate about plastic straws was kind of pointless and a lot of navel gazing, but like it also hit in 2017. So we got attached to that. Oh, and other things that definitely helped drive awareness while, uh, yeah, really hoping that the biggest thing that we've, that like trash has always wanted to do and that like we've cared about is just like, I mean, we're both individuals that like love making classic drinks, but also believe that a couple of extra steps and a little bit of behind the scenes magic can take those classics to another level. And just really alongside of that prep, which has become so commonplace in bars around the world, just being like, okay, it's great that we've convinced our owners and our financial controllers that we deserve a little time to do prep as well. And maybe we could be allowed our own induction hob if we're extra nice and even some strainers that we don't have to steal from the kitchen. But alongside of that becomes a lot of the common sense elements from the kitchen that we need to embody as well. And that is things like when you do learn to cook on a line and you're prepping every day, your chef will come by and check your bin to see what you're throwing out and how efficient were you with every single food item. And just because up until the pandemic, bars were so much more profitable than kitchens, 
that still didn't mean it was okay to throw all that out. And I think now more than ever, as margins are becoming increasingly slimmer, there's even more of a call for that. So awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. That's incredible. Is there... Are you good with that? Or is there anything else you want to touch upon that you're working on? Oh, I would just say, please, absolutely, everybody should go and follow Kelsey. Oh, um, uh, she is an absolute weapon and leading that company so brilliantly and deserves all the attention for what she carries on there. Cool. Great. And then any other organization or cause you want to mention? Or I'd say if there's anything else that I'm really enjoying doing that I think has come out since the pandemic has been so many people have moved around, so much has changed. And Something that I've started with two dear friends here in New York, uh, Kitty and Ben, is just building a monthly meetup. Ours has been specifically engineered or rather has been built around building a stronger queer community within the hospitality space. And so that's something that quite honestly came from a bunch of us turning around and First of all, like wondering where the hell all our friends were (laughs) and like very much, you know, like 2022, like now that we're through the back of it, like there were a lot of lonely times in there for a lot of people. And like, it was just us chatting one time about that. And then additionally, also talking about a number of friends, some of ourselves included that had made poor, let's go with that word, poor career choices. And we were very much lamenting of just being like, shit, why am I stuck working for an arsehole again who I knew was going to be an arsehole and I told my friends they were an arsehole and I still said yes to the job anyway and now six months into it, I'm unhappy and all the rest of it. And and why did I make this decision? And it was like, right, I made that decision because I wasn't talking to anybody, because I wasn't meeting my friends, because I wasn't hanging out with anyone. So it's called Butt Stuff and uh, it's just a cute little monthly queer hospitality meetup where zero agenda zero reason to like nobody has to come chasing a job or anything like that it's like we choose a different venue we don't even promote it it's just done through our internal network and everybody tries to bring a couple of new faces every week so that it grows very organically and we don't even we're not even founders or anything like that we're just like hey this thing exists now let's show up let's like be in community and support each other. And having only done a couple, it's just already amazing to be like, you've got so many new bars that you can walk into and know that there's a friendly face there. You've got friends that have similar interests. And I think for me, that's probably the biggest thing I've come to focus on over the last few years is like building that stronger community because that's kind of the thing that's actually going to see us through our careers and through, see us through businesses will come and go and our venues will come and go but like the not even the networks but the people we know we can genuinely call on who know us and know what we stand for that's the most important thing that's something cute and little that we're doing as well here in new york i think it's great building any community like that being there for people is incredible so while you think it's some little thing you're doing it's probably hugely important for many people involved if it puts a smile on some friends faces and helps make a new few new friends then yeah that's definitely that's that's the best thing for sure send us a link or social or something like that if it exists for that and we'll be sure to share yeah i mean if anyone's in new york and ever wants to join just dm me and as dumb as it is just ask me when the next bot stuff is and i'll be able to turn around and tell you amazing (laughs) ian thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it. it was a joy to talk to you and loved hearing about the tiny bit about your career and a lot about, you know, some of your projects and your point of view on cocktails. And it's really exciting. I'm excited to follow you on social to, to see what you're up to. So yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I mean, I'm very glad as well. I'll always like 
Forwards Gin has probably been the single most important brand in my career for even to talk about trash and to bring everything full circle, you being in Chicago. I still remember we'd come up with the idea and just called up the dear Sharon Bronstein, who was marketing director for Forwards at the time. And it was like, Shabrizi, we've got this idea. A couple of people in London really seem to like it. Like if we took it to Chicago, could you like help us out with Forwards? And with not even seeing anything and just hearing three sentences, she was like, yep, we're in. And then Forwards turned around and helped bring trash for our entire US tour and so many other things in my career. So anytime I can join in on something like this and give thanks back to a brand that's done so much for me, I'm always happy to do so. That's awesome. Well, I'm not directly, you know, in in the industry. I like to think I am sometimes, but still thank you for everything you do for the industry, the community. Thanks for freaking all of our venues and spending money. That actually uh, really keeps us in a yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Ian, thank you. I hope to meet you in person sometime soon and enjoy the rest of your week. Indeed, it will do. Andrew, thanks so much again for having me on Beyond the Plate. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. To get the recipe from this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. This episode is produced by myself along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at Kathy's Plate or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy.